Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The apparatus of the federal government is overrun with leftist loons. We call them the deep state. And now we see that the legal profession has also been overwhelmed with left-wing madness. Yale University is apparently churning out moronic totalitarian libs despite the fact that places like Yale are supposed to be elite. Top law school in the country, they say. We'll dive into the lunacy at America's law schools in tonight's Hold On. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. You understand that if we continue to lose all institutions in America to the commies, to the left, to the Democrat socialists, etc., we're not going to be able to win elections. We're not even going to have the country that we thought we did left. It will be transformed into something else. Those are the stakes here. And understand that in recent decades, conservatives have woken up to the fact that the left does not want a neutral ground, a level playing field. They want control and power. And to that end, they have seized the commanding heights of academia, Hollywood, journalism. All of these places have been dominated by the left for many, many years now. 
Corporate America, increasingly because of the wokeness virus, is also now dominated with leftists. Just look at Disney with the walkouts of employees and Disney's CEO, new CEO, coming out to say that they should have taken a stronger stance against the don't say gay bill, which is actually the parental rights bill, and nowhere does it say you can't say gay, but wokeness is wokeness. It's not rooted in truth, it's rooted in lies. Wokeness has also overtaken our law schools including the best ones. It might be actually worst of all at the so-called best ones, the most elite by reputation. Check out this headline from the Daily Mail. Law schools are in crisis. The truth doesn't matter much. The game is to signal one's virtue. Yale Law School professor who tackled woke mob at free speech event says the future of the rule of law in the U.S. is in crisis. There was a free speech event uh, with some lawyers, uh, some, some minds from the world of law speaking to a classroom full or an auditorium full of Yale Law students. Those students, this is from Barry Weiss's Common Sense column, her substack, more than 100 law students disrupted the event, intimidating attendees and attempting to drown out the speakers when the professor moderating the panel, Kate Stiff, told the protesters to grow up. They hurled abuse at her and insisted their disturbance was free speech. The fracas caused so much chaos that police were called. I mean, just understand, this is occurring here. This is, that, that's from the actual event. You see these, these spoiled brats. I wonder how many of them actually honestly broke a 165 on the LSAT, because overall, Yale Law School is supposed to be the hardest in the country to get into. I wonder how many even broke a 160 on the LSAT. I'd be very curious about that. You know, there was a time when getting to these places was super difficult for everybody, but now they've made it easier for some people while almost impossible for others. And then they tell us that everybody who goes is just so smart and brilliant. Gee, I don't know about that. Look at this classroom full of idiots shouting down invited speakers who want to talk about things like the right of the accused to counsel. That's the kind of stuff that at top law schools right now, just so you understand, the top law schools have students who are going to graduate and become prosecutors, they're going to become DOJ employees, they're going to be at and then running eventually the biggest, most influential law firms in the country, and they oppose ideas like, you know, really bad, icky people, you know, maybe Trump supporters, for example, who got caught trespassing on January 6th. They don't deserve any defense, and if you defend them as a lawyer, you're a bad person. This is the world we are turning, to, uh, turning into here, legally speaking, in America. This is what's actually happening. But this is, this is something that's been going on for a long time. Again, from this uh, excellent Barry Weiss common sense column, at first the conventional wisdom held that this was just a few college kids, a few spoiled snowflakes who would grow out of it when they reached the world and became serious people. That did not happen. Instead, the undergraduates clung to their ideas about justice and injustice. They became medical students and law students. Then 2020 happened. All of a sudden, Critical race theory was more than mainstream in America's law schools. It was mandatory. These, these left-wing shock troops at the law schools are essentially uh, now the most important to the woke movement of anybody in the country because they're the furthest. They're the most left-wing, you see. They're the ones that have gone through the fullest and most extreme indoctrination. They've gone all the way through school, through undergraduate, now through law school, being told things that are just, in many cases, fundamentally untrue. And even if you want to argue about some of their positions, understand 
that it is now not only fashionable, it is required, at least according to the, the students and even many of the professors at these top law schools, that critical features of our system, essential foundational concepts like the rights of the accused, like equal justice under the law, not taking into account historical injustice when you have an individual who is accused of a crime, every individual is responsible only for his or her actions, that is cast out by this group. They don't want to hear about that anymore. And the most insane, woke loons on college campuses have now gone through law school, and as Weiss points out here, are lawyers at top law firms in New York, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles, and they felt constant, they fret constantly about saying the wrong thing or taking on the wrong client. That's right. Now, now they want to judge you. If you support somebody who is on the wrong side of the left, you are an enemy now. As a lawyer, if you support them, if you take up their, if you will take them as a client, you know, if you take up, I'm sure, big oil or a Republican or anybody who worked for Donald Trump or, you know, a gun manufacturer, you name it. All Americans with rights, constitutional rights, you're not allowed, to, not allowed to do that anymore as far as the left is concerned. We need to wake up to this reality because the legal profession now has been corrupted by wokeness the same way that Hollywood and journalism and others. This is why, for example, during the Trump years when he was in office as president, it was difficult to get lawyers to defend him in his personal capacity against the Russia collusion lies that a bunch of deep state hacks at the DOJ, along with the CIA and the media, cobbled together to attack him. In fact, even lower level Trump employees in the White House had a hard time finding lawyers who would want to represent them because of the possible reputational damage to the lawyers of taking on those clients. This is just another version, really, of the cancel culture madness. This is the, you do what the left says, or they'll go after your business. They'll deplatform you. They'll, take, they'll kick off your payment processor if you're a business online. They'll kick off your servers, like Amazon Web Services did, to uh, Parler, the free speech app. They are attacking the fundamental freedoms of, of our society, and they think they're the good people for doing it. That's what's most outrageous. Alan Dershowitz, for example, says it's worse than McCarthyism. Of course, he's a professor emeritus at Harvard Law School. He said McCarthyism was a reflection of a dying old views. They were not the future. The people today who are imposing litmus tests for who they represent, they are the future. The lawyers of the future in America are brainwashed lunatics of the left. This is a very big problem. They're already associates at a lot of firms. They are changing the foundation of our legal system so that it represents commie, woke ideology. And this is a problem for you if you're ever gonna have a lawyer, ever gonna face the justice system, if you think that you actually have rights that will be defended in a court of law in America. They don't believe in any of that stuff. Constitution is written by old bad people who were racist. They could care less what the Constitution says. Yeah, that's how they view it. <sighs> Man, serious stuff. It's bad, it's bad news, we gotta, we gotta wake up here. It was day two of Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson's Senate hearing on Capitol Hill today. Senators grilled the judge about some of her past decisions, including her leniency against child predators. After the break, we'll talk to Human Events Daily host, pod, uh, podcast host Jack Posobiec about the nominee's performance today. You know, hackers capitalize on uncertainty. There's so much going on these days. There's so many of these scams out there that, you know, you click on something and they try to steal money from you, your identity. There's a bigger scam out there that's even harder to detect. It could cost you your home. It's called home title fraud. Happens when a hacker finds a title to your home online. 
Then he forges your signature and removes you from your home's title. He'll take out loans on your home and leave you in debt. What makes home title fraud so devastating is you won't know you've been hacked until it's too late. You can go to your country's recorder office and check to make sure your home's still in your name, or you can visit HomeTitleLock.com. Then enter your address to see if you're already a victim. It's just smart to do this. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with Jack Posobiec. Stay with us. There's a battle going on right now that may be the most important fight our country's had since the Revolutionary War. Once again, it's about our freedom. People like you and me are being canceled, our speech increasingly censored by big tech and corporate media. Can't let that happen. Time to fight back. Please stand with us and support The First TV. Be a part of our team dedicated to preserving the very essence of who we are, free Americans. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson faced a second day of questions on Capitol Hill during her Supreme Court confirmation hearings. A number of Republican senators took the opportunity to question her on her past and if she has any, quote, hidden agenda. Watch. You once wrote that every judge has, and I quote, personal hidden agendas, end quote, then influence how they decide cases. So I can only wonder, what's your hidden agenda? Is it to let violent criminals, cop killers, and child predators back to the streets? Is it to restrict parental rights and expand government's reach into our schools and our private family decisions? Is it to support the radical left's attempt to pack the Supreme Court? I'm also interested, as others have mentioned, in your opinion, why pro-abortion, dark money groups like Demand Justice and anti-religious liberty groups are pouring millions of dollars into a public campaign in support of your nomination. In every case, in each of these seven, Judge Jackson handed down a lenient sentence that was below what the federal guidelines recommended and below what prosecutors requested. Judge Jackson's response when asked if she was soft on criminals was, quote, nothing could be further from the truth. Well, what's the truth here? Let's talk to host of Human Events Daily, Jack Posobiec. Jack, good to see you. Buck, always a pleasure. I mean, let, let's just start with that, the, the primary uh, charge here, criticism, if you will, against uh, Judge Jackson uh, seems to be that she goes soft on criminals, and that's concerning at a time when there's been a major rise in violent crime across the country and city after city going on almost two years now. What do you make of it, Jack? Well, look, Buck, this isn't really anything different than the same ideology that you've seen out of the progressive wing of the judicial activists that's been going on since the 1990s. It's this idea that criminals are in some way victims themselves, victims of their upbringing, victims of society, victims of situations. And certainly we can look at individual cases and make those judgments, but this is more than that. This is an actual judicial philosophy of being soft on crime and believing that these social reform efforts are actually more important and stronger than actually deterrence or locking up people that are some of the uh, most, not only violent criminals, but in this case, and that's certainly what Senator Hawley is bringing up, this idea of people who are repeat and habitual offenders of child pornography laws. Here on that issue is, uh, is the judge criticizing congressional statutes and the sentencing guidelines on that. Watch. As you said, the guideline was based originally on uh, a, a statutory scheme and on directives, specific directives by Congress at a time in which 
more serious child pornography offenders were identified based on the volume, based on the number of photographs that they received in the mail. And that made totally total sense before when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have distribution. But the way that the guideline is now structured, based on that set of circumstances, is leading to extreme disparities in the system because it's so easy for people to get volumes of this kind of material now. What do you make of it, Poso? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, this idea, again, this is, by the way, this is the same uh, disparate impact theory that all of critical race theory and critical theory in general is based on. But at the same time, not even to get into the merits of her argument, you know, clearly she's looking at it from the perspective of the criminal, not the perspective of the victims. And the fact these people are victimized every single time someone views one of those images. Again, keep in mind, these are images of a child being exploited every single time they're viewed. But more importantly, for the, our, this, these processes, she's trying to get a lifetime appointment to the bench. She's making a legislative activist argument in order to do so. That's not a judicial argument. It is not the role of the judiciary to decide what the laws should be. If she wants to run for Congress, if she wants to be a member of that legislative body, then she has every right to do so. But she does not have the right as a justice on the Supreme Court to just pick and choose and decide which laws she wants to apply and which ones she doesn't. She was also asked, uh, Jack, about the court packing possibility that Democrats were talking about a lot, uh, particularly after the uh, Amy Coney Barrett confirmation went through. We're hearing a lot about court packing. Here is Judge Brown on that issue. Judge uh, Jackson. Do you agree with Justice Breyer and Justice Ginsburg that court packing is a bad idea? Respectfully, Senator, other nominees to the Supreme Court have uh, responded as I will, which is um, that it is a policy question for Congress. And I am particularly mindful of, of not speaking to policy issues because I am so committed to staying in my lane of the system because I, I, I'm just not willing to speak to issues that are properly in the province of this body. Judge uh, Brown Jackson there deflecting, obviously. Uh, do, we, do you think we have to take seriously that there could be a court packing move by the Biden administration, especially considering how things are shaping up for Democrats early on here looking at the next presidential election? Well, I do think it's possible, but I also think it's amazing that suddenly when asked about court packing, now all of a sudden she believes in separation of powers when just a few moments earlier when she was asked about the law regarding the sentences for child sex offenders and child pornography offenders, well, suddenly she has all these problems with the law and she's going to make up her own guidelines and she's going to reform the system all by herself. But you ask her about one of these other issues and oh, no, 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 I would never want to cross out of my lanes. It's, it's completely ridiculous to try to put those two next to each other. And you're clearly dealing with someone who is an ideological social reform progressive. That's very obvious who she is. Jack, uh, what do you think about the way Republicans have handled this thus far? I mean, I've been saying, even in advance of these hearings, my expectation will be not only does uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson get confirmed, but that she'll have a handful, three, four, five Republican votes to be sure, maybe even more than that, 
One, do you, do you see that playing out uh, that way too? And just more generally, what do you think of the way the Republicans have handled this and the kinds of questions and the probing that they've done? Well, it's kind of amazing, right? Like you've got people out there like Hawley that are actually going quite hard that are probing deep into her actual record, right? We're not going to, you know, the 1980s yearbook like Kavanaugh, but then you've got guys like Grassley and Graham who are really up there with the kid gloves. I mean, Graham up was out there a week ago saying that he was personally going to assassinate Vladimir Putin. And then he comes up with the judicial nominee and he can't even ask serious, tough questions of her when she's been nominated by Joe Biden. I think the entire thing is very silly. And I honestly do think that at this point, you might see people from the Republican side of the bench go in for her because this is part of that same old elitist credentialist clique that we've seen before. But she gets through with Republican votes? I think she gets some GOP votes. I do at this point. I do too. Jack, we'll have you back. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, Buck. President Biden is preparing to travel to Brussels for an emergency NATO summit this week to discuss the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. The White House has boasted of the president's leadership during the crisis, but what has that leadership actually looked like so far? Canada for United States Senate from New York, Joe Pinion, is going to give his opinion on that one next. President Biden is preparing to head to Brussels tomorrow to meet with other leaders of NATO nations to discuss the organization's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The president will follow up the NATO summit with a trip to Warsaw to meet with Polish President Duda, where he'll get a first-hand view of the ongoing refugee crisis. The White House is pointing at the trip as evidence of Biden's leadership in coordinating the response to Russia's aggression. But my next guest thinks the president's been asleep at the wheel. Joining me now, candidate for the United States Senate in New York, right here, Joe Pinion. Joe, good to see you. Always good to see you, my friend. Good to be here. So Biden's heading to Brussels. We have a number of other Democrats who have tried to do something here to help bring this war to a conclusion as quickly as possible. You feel like they're misstepping? Tell me how. Tell me why. Uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, anybody paying attention knew that this day was coming. Uh, when you have a, a surge, resurgent Russia uh, that hacks our fuel supply, 45% of the fuel to the eastern seaboard in May of 2021, and a president in Biden who does nothing, uh, you knew this day was coming. When you have a Russian nation uh, that hacks one-fifth of our beef supply in May of 2021, and a president with his assistant, uh, Chuck Schumer, doing nothing, you knew this day was coming. So again, uh, the hacking techniques that were effectively acts of war against the U.S. homeland have been perfected to destabilize Ukraine while the Russian tanks drive across the border. And now we have a pending potential food crisis uh, run amok uh, because you have a, a nation in Ukraine uh, that is the fourth leading supplier of, of wheat to the world, the fifth leading supplier of, in many ways, corn to the world. So you, the, the unintended consequences here uh, with all these uh, entrenched interests are going to have the American people having an even more inflation. It's a complete and utter mess. Uh, by the way, you mentioned a couple of, of what you described the uh, major hacking incidents. Just well, what were those exactly? I'm sure a lot of folks at home were like, wait, what? Hacked? Hacked who? When? Well, how? Look, I mean, people. 
People forget um, back in May of 2021, we had the uh, Colonial Pipeline uh, that was hacked uh, with 45% of the fuel to the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, we had 78% of the gas stations in DC that didn't have uh, any fuel. Uh, you end up going back to that JBS hack where effectively we had whole uh, tranches of cattle uh, that basically were useless because I mean, of, that, of that hack. So you look at uh, those entrenched interests uh, that we had a nation which effectively said nothing. Uh, President Biden literally said I at his word uh, that Russia was not behind this as if anybody can do anything of that stature uh, from a cafe in St. Petersburg uh, without the actual authorization of the Kremlin uh, is ridiculous. So to me, again, American leadership asleep at the wheel uh, while we have the vested interest of the American people left behind uh, because we are living through what America last as he looks like after we saw firsthand the power of putting America first and also empowering the global world order. I want to know what you think then, uh, Joe, about the extent of U.S. involvement in Ukraine so far, because there are a bunch of senators who uh, are taking positions on this one, including Joni Ernst, who's over in Poland right now, who has called for the provision of Ukraine with MiG fighter planes. Watch this one. Everyone here is on board with sending MiGs. I think that, yes, the, the Ukrainians, and I, while I can't speak for the entire delegation, what I will say, I did lead a letter a week and a half ago which encouraged uh, the delivery of MiGs, and I am hopeful that we as a nation can then backfill the polls with F-16s that we are no longer using. Um, so this is a great cooperative way our nations can work together to ensure the Ukrainians have absolutely what they need to defend their country. What do you think? Providing them with MiGs coming from Poland via the U.S., I suppose, to the Ukrainians. I mean, look, I think first and foremost, you have to deal with the fact that we had uh, all the opportunities in the world to have the preemptive sanctions necessary uh, to make sure that we didn't find ourselves in this mess. When you had somebody uh, like Ted Cruz, uh, who was trying to make sure that we had those preemptive sanctions in place, and somebody like Chuck Schumer, who said no. And now we find ourselves in the mess we are today uh, with very few good options, I will have you, because at this point, uh, the ruble is practically worthless. Uh, and you have a person in Vladimir Putin who is on a legacy kick. Uh, this is for to burnish his own reputation, uh, to burnish uh, the great mother Russia. Um, and in some ways, he does not necessarily care what it costs. Uh, so I think in some ways, the notion that somehow we can solve this with a few MiGs um, is short-sighted. We need to, again, continue uh, to make sure that we have allies with the United States that aren't trying to find daylight between us and our interests, and now are palling up uh, with the Chinese Communist Party, or by extension, palling up with the Russians, trying to hedge their bets, uh, like people in Germany who kind of sort of maybe support uh, financial sanctions, but also maybe sort of still want to try to get uh, some of the oil or some of the natural gas as a result of that pipeline. So we have to make it very clear uh, to our allies uh, that any and all uh, type of uh, intrigue that they have uh, with the Russian government uh, is going to be met with the harshest of sanctions as well. I think, again, when our allies have not respected us and our enemies have lost all fear of us, and as of extension, now our allies don't feel like there are any consequences for not being with us. But laterally, uh, you find ourselves in the mess that we're in today. Jen Psaki, by the way, has tried to tell everybody, don't worry, Biden's on the whole issue of Chinese support to Russia and the Chinese and Xi Jinping, the premier over there, they know that Biden is not to be messed with. Here's what the White House press secretary said. What I can tell you is that 
the majority of this call. As I think you heard, you saw in the readout, and you heard, I think, on the call we just did, uh, but was focused on uh, Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the President spent, the vast majority of the nearly two hours was spent with the President outlining the views of the United States and our allies and partners on this crisis, including a detailed overview of efforts to prevent and then respond to the invasion, how we got here, steps we've taken, where, where we've gone and why. Um, and, uh, of course, as uh, was also noted in the readout, but let me just reiterate, uh, he also uh, conveyed uh, and, and described the implications and consequences if China provides material support to Russia. What do you make of that? I mean, let's be very clear. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is the chief underwriter to the terrorist threat to the Western world. Uh, that is why they filled that vacuum in Afghanistan when we left $85 billion of 21st century hardware behind. Uh, that is why they have that $400 billion alliance uh, with Iran and the Ayatollah, a man who uh, does not believe that uh, Israel is a sovereign nation and does not believe uh, that America should exist, all while this president tries to re-enter an Iran nuclear deal that would jeopardize our sovereignty, jeopardize the security of the region. Uh, so this is, uh, in many ways, the circle back uh, nonsense that has been coming out of the mouth of Jen Psaki for a very long time. The proof is in the pudding. Uh, the Chinese people have no healthy fear of America. They have uh, no actual reservations in assisting the Russian people. And in many ways, uh, by locking Putin into this uh, war of no return, uh, where the ruble is now practically worthless, they have actually set up Russia to be an empty shell corp, the largest SPAC in the history of the world, uh, because China is filling that vacuum uh, with Yuan. That's why you have those uh, whispers in the Middle East about certain oil deals potentially uh, being dealt in with Yuan. So there is a threat to the American sovereignty of the dollar. Uh, there is a threat to the dollar as the reserve currency. There's just a threat uh, to American dominance on the world stage, because we have a leader that has placed his head in the sand and simply thinks this is going to go away. We have a government that is playing Russian roulette with the Russians as if they don't actually understand how to play the game. Joe Pinion, my friend, he's taking on good old Chuck Schumer for that Senate seat. We wish him well. And Joe, good to see you. <laughs> Thanks. And go to JoePinion.com. Help us out. Make sure we can spread the word. New Yorkers have a chance to have a choice and Americans deserve a real voice. JoePinion.com. Joe, good to see you. Thanks so much, my friend. Leah Thomas became the first transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division I title last week, but not everybody is celebrating. One of Thomas's fellow competitors is calling on the NCAA to revisit its rules regarding trans athletes. We'll have more on that with the First TV's Morgan Zeggers when we come back. First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies say your privacy is guaranteed, but obviously that's not true. So you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool. It's called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, and even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never asks for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, anybody with real confidence in your actual privacy and security. Secure stops the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email accommodation package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line.
NCAA swimmer Rekha Georgi is now calling on the organization to change its rules, which allow biological men to compete against women. The swimmer's call comes less than a week after transgender athlete Leah Thomas won the Division I National Championship in the 500-yard freestyle. So could this be a turning point in the fight against the inclusion of biological men in women's sports? Here to discuss is the First TV's Morgan Zeggers. Morgan, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Buck. In an open letter to the NCAA, Ms. Georgi, I think that's how you say it, writes, she is doing what she is passionate about and deserves that right. On the other hand, I would like to critique the NCAA rules that allow her to compete against us who are biologically women. I'm writing this letter now in the hopes the NCAA will open their eyes and change these rules in the future. It doesn't promote our sport in a good way, and I think it is disrespectful against the biologically female swimmers who are competing in the NCAA. So do you think this might uh, be part of a turning of the tide here, Morgan, against the, the uh, inclusion of men in women's sports? I would also, just before you answer, say it's very nice of Ms. Georgi to refer to uh, Leah Thomas as she repeatedly, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, uh, but this is really a multi-layered issue here. You have the wokeness of Gen Z kind of working against the generation's own betterment. And by that, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but one of the three top swimmers that were female in the race that Leah won actually wrote an op-ed for Newsweek promoting Leah and saying she's happy for her to be competing. And she's a lesbian herself that has a girlfriend and her girlfriend helped her edit the op-ed in support of Leah. And so to read it and see a female athlete happy to lose to a biological male after the woke people have taught her that that's how things should be is insane to me. So that's why I'm really happy to see that in pushback of the wokeness of Gen Z, this female wrote an uh, an open letter in defense of women's sports. Now, my big lesson on this is that Gen Z can't accept the fact that sometimes life comes with consequences, decisions come with consequences. And if we were all adults that could operate with objective truth, Buck, we would be able to look at this and say, you know what, becoming a, a different gender and going through with that transition is a major decision and it will come with pros and cons. One of those cons is going to be that, yeah, you can swim. Nobody's stopping you from swimming. You can have fun all you want, but maybe you're not going to be allowed in some of those competitions where fairness really matters when you are competing for serious medals and scholarships. That's got to be something that we come to grips with as a society. And I think that would be a nice middle of the road stance to take. In the social media realm, there is no middle of the road on this issue, it seems, Morgan. There is only one acceptable narrative, and anybody who deviates from that can find themselves locked out from their account, which if you have a business account, let's say, if you run a media organization like the Babylon Bee does, can be quite a financial problem. The Babylon Bee has been suspended from Twitter, um, on, this is of course on the trans issue as well, for presenting Rachel Levine as Man of the Year. Now, this was in response to, I believe it was US, I know Time Magazine or USA Today, I forget, one of them uh, had, I think it's Time, right? Man of the Year, I'm sorry, Woman of the Year they had, Rachel Levine. Babylon B responded with Man of the Year. Babylon B's Twitter account has been suspended. I spoke to uh, Seth Dillon, who is the guy who runs the Babylon B. He says, as of right now, they refuse to delete the tweet which is the price that Twitter demands for reinstatement of the account. What do you think about this? Well, I've got to say Seth Dillon is an 
amazing guy and he leads a great company. And so it's really nice to see men leading the charge in something like this that negatively affects women so much. And so I hope that people look at this censorship and don't get scared, but instead say, wow, they really want us to start saying two plus two equals five and we will not comply with that. Uh, Buck, what I'm worried about is we've been warning that this would happen, that it wouldn't just be an election issue of if you disagreed on something regarding the election, you are removed. Or if you're President Trump and you say uh, inappropriate things according to the left, then you're removed from the platform. Now it's with every issue. And so we can expect to see that uh, when the left creates these barriers for people, it's going to be used with every political issue from now on and they use it as a crisis. I was just at a college campus speaking last week and because I talked about the assaults that go on of women in girls' bathrooms when they get attacked by men who go into them once they're opened up to trans women, I'm getting all confused with the words right now. I said that that's wrong because women are in danger and the, the proof is in the pudding there. And so I did a story on it, what do you know? The students came and protested me, Buck, and said that I was a transphobe. So now is not the time to back down. Now's the time to really ground ourselves in objective truth and speak out louder than ever, especially in defense of groups like the Babylon Bee who are harmless. I do think that there's, there's real evidence that some of the supporters of trans individuals, apart from actual trans individuals for the purposes of, of this point I'm about to make, um, have a real mental illness, like there's a problem with them. I mean, I would point to, for example, the claim that has been made among some left-wing writers that heterosexual males who are not sexually attracted to trans women, as in biological males who transition in whatever way that means, there's no even specifics on it, are transphobic. That's the word that they will use and are bigoted. That seems to me like something a crazy person would say because it's so obviously just, in, uh, just bonkers. Uh, and then also now, and this comes in with the Leah Thomas situation, you have people on the, or rather you have Leah Thomas and then the people on the left who will say, What's the problem with these women or anybody else who has a problem with a naked man and all that that entails dressing among women? I mean, so, so, so Leah Thomas, you know, it would be if some guy walked into the women's changing room at a gym and just stripped down naked, everybody would say, oh, my gosh, what is he doing? This is so disrespectful. And, and it's really like a form of sexual harassment, sexual uh, exposure to, to, to these women. But Leah Thomas says that it's a she, and so it's okay, even though it's actually physically the same manifestation. Yeah, I mean, Buck, women are really getting the short end of the stick here, and the left is succeeding in the erasure of womanhood. Remember when we used to joke because they called us a pregnant people and breastfeeding persons or chest Men- feeding? Menstruating, and- menstruating persons, I believe, as well, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just they keep attacking us in these little ways, and now it's turned into, well, it's okay if a few women get attacked in the bathroom because, in general, we're helping the less than 1% of society that's trans feel comfortable in their own space. Or it's okay that all of the women in the NCAA are subjected to unfair competition every time they compete. Imagine the mental toll that that takes on someone. And what I believe in is that we have to defend these things. They may seem small to some people, but defending these basic concepts of when in a society we set up a competition, there should be basic rules of fairness and competition. That is the most basic concept, right? And the fact that we can't even agree on that is very concerning for me moving forward. But now that we're getting into this this concept of even awarding men the award 
titled a uh, woman of the year or best athlete, whatever it may be, it's it's like an extra smack in the face because they're taking away our safety, our womanhood, the, the beautiful gift that it is to, to create life and to breastfeed a child and to do all those things that women can only do. It, it's fascinating. And not only that, when I was at the campus last week, Buck, being called a transphobe, the other thing they called me was a misogynist because they said oh. that my in misogyny put into me by my conservative values is what do you know hateful towards women and hurts women so these words that they throw around are ridiculous there's nothing wrong with being pro-woman it doesn't make you misogynist it doesn't make you bad to promote motherhood and femininity not feminism uh, and it's definitely not anti-trans or misogynist to defend women's sports and women's safety morgan zeggers speaking a lot of sense as always good to see you thanks Buck. The mayor of Boston is coming under fire for some racially charged comments made during a St. Patrick's Day event. I'll have that story for you and more in Quick Hits. Stay with us. Disney employees stage a walkout in response to Florida's parental rights in education bill, which they've all said is the don't say gay bill, which is a lie. And the founder of the 1619 Project apparently uh, thinks tipping is bad or has a bad history. What? Uh, yeah, that's a thing. Those stories on Quick Hits, let's get to it. First off, as you know, there's this bill in Florida. It's gotten a lot of attention recently. They say it is called, they, they call it the Don't Say Gay Bill, which is just a total fabrication. Nowhere does it say you can't say gay. It just says that for kindergartners to third graders, you should not be instructing in sexual anything. You know, uh, heterosexual sex, sexual identity, gender identity, any of these things. None, none of that should be taught to basically toddlers. This, is, this shouldn't be controversial. I think most Americans say, yeah, I mean, they're little tiny kids. I don't think we need school employees walking them through how there are 37 genders. But anyway, Disney employees in California, I'm sure they didn't read the bill. They don't care what's really in it. They just want to seem like they are righteous and virtuous and all the rest of it and left wing and woke. They had a walkout in California. Watch. I mean, it's really remarkable, isn't it? But this is what we're up against now. People who know nothing about what they're talking about feel vociferous in their defense of the thing that they don't even know well enough to understand what they're defending, but they know that they think it makes them look good to their peers. So that's all they care about. The mayor of Boston um, has, from what I've seen, been pretty awful, certainly on COVID issues, uh, incompetent, uh, a classic lib uh, in terms of just going along with whatever the Democrat herd wants, even if it hurts her city. Um, but I, look, I appreciate when politicians make a good faith effort at humor because usually they're unintentionally funny. So it's nice when they actually try to crack a joke and occasionally they'll land one. Um, this joke not only failed to land, this joke failed to be funny. It was worse than that insofar as it opens a window to this mentality that making fun of, even for a, an elected official in a major American city, Making fun of white people is ha ha ha. Let's make more jokes at the expense of white people. Here's the Boston mayor. Over 100 days, we have connected unhoused residents at Mass and Cass to housing, treatment, and services. We've launched three free bus lines. We've taken some big, bold actions, but I won't lie. 
This past winter was pretty intense. Trial by snow, trial by fire, fighters union. I'm getting used to dealing with problems that are expensive, disruptive, and white. Ah, expensive, disruptive, and white. Like, it wasn't funny, but also it does show this mentality that you can make you can make uh, disparaging comments about white people and we're all supposed to go, oh, ha ha, that's so, that's so clever, but it's really not, it's not cool at all, it's gross, shouldn't be done. <sighs> anyway. The 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is, uh, in a lot of ways, just, just a lunatic, but anyway, uh, she linked the, the practice of tipping to slavery she wrote in a tweet today, tipping is a legacy of slavery, and if it's not optional, then it shouldn't be a tip, but simply included in the bill. Have you ever think to stop why, or stop to think why we tip, like why tipping is a practice in the U.S. and almost nowhere else? Uh, first of all, they do tip in Europe. They don't tip a lot, but there's sort of an expected tip. I just really, where, where did we get that tipping is a legacy of slavery? Why not explain that? If you're going to make that claim, you know, because, but the problem with the 1619 Project is that capitalism, they say, is a legacy of slavery. I mean, they'll find any way to justify a connection in their minds between some practice and that they, that they don't like and, and slavery, and they'll create a historical connection. It's, it's, wow. And then there's uh, Senator Cornyn today to judge, uh, judge Brown Jackson. Why in the world would you call Secretary Rumsfeld and George Bush war criminals? Watch this one. I don't know you well, but I've been impressed by our interaction, and you've been gracious and charming. Why in the world would you call Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld and George W. Bush war criminals in a legal filing? It seems so out of character for you. Senator, you may have been talking, are you talking about briefs that I, or habeas petitions that Talk I filed? Talking about when you were representing a member of the Taliban and uh, the Department of Defense identified him as an intelligence officer for the Taliban, and you referred to the Secretary of Defense and the sitting President of the United States as war criminals. Why would you do something like that? It seems so out of character. Well, Senator, I don't remember that particular reference, and I um, was representing my clients and making arguments. Um, I'd, I'd have to take a look at what you, what you meant. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high. There's a battle going on right now that may be the most important fight our country's had since the Revolutionary War. Once again, it's about our freedom. People like you and me are being canceled. Our speech increasingly censored by big tech and corporate media. You can't let that happen. Time to fight back. Please stand with us and support The First TV. Be a part of our team dedicated to preserving the very essence of who we are, free Americans. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helped severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. 
It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.